Wait a minute. You're not done. <laughs> Ashley's here. Right? Right. So we always, we always give the, uh, the new mom... So, uh, did Noah fill out a visitor's card? Oh, no. <laughs> All right, many of you know, but Gabe and Ashley had their fourth child. <laughs> little, little Noah there, huh? It's a long name. What's the whole name? Noah James Serial Tringale, right? All right, so we wanted to, you get to carry the flower. She has the bundle, so how about we pray and bless them? Would you do that with me? Lord, we're so thankful for this family and this precious gift now of Noah. We uh, add our blessing to what you're already blessing them and giving them favor, and we are thankful, uh, Lord, for this addition of life to our family, and uh, we, we just, we call forth the name of Jesus in the blood of Jesus over Noah's life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Nice. Well, as we uh, said, uh, as Gabe said, this is uh, a series that we're doing through about the middle of May on specifically how do you begin to experience power in your prayer life? How do you begin to experience the answers that you long for in your prayer life? How, do you, how, do, how does prayer cease to be a religious activity or a duty or an obligation that you have to do and become something that you want to do and you desire to do? Uh, Lisa and I, when we really began to learn to pray, we attached ourselves to a mentor. And the mentor that we attached ourselves to was actually 89 years old when, when we began to uh, be with him and walk with him. And one of the things that he would talk about is he would talk about if you want to learn how to do something, you learn from the best. And uh, his, he was a baseball player back in the, the, the 1910s and the 1920s. And he said he went to Yankee Stadium, and he watched Babe Ruth hit a baseball. And he grooved his swing, and he modeled his swing after Babe Ruth. He said, if you're going to learn to do something, learn from the best. I was like, you watch Babe Ruth, you are old, you know? <laughs> I mean, it's just so funny to me thinking of being at Yankee Stadium, the house that Ruth built, you know? And, and uh, so he said, you know, and, uh, but if you look... Babe Ruth still missed seven times out of ten. So when I learn to pray, I want to pray and learn from somebody who gets it ten out of ten. And the only one that does that is Jesus. So we learn to pray from the one who prays and hears yes. The Father never refuses the Son. Therefore, When you learn to pray, you don't want to just learn from other people's example. You want to learn from the one who bats a thousand. (laughs) You may not like baseball, but you can get that image, I think. 
So we go to Jesus in Matthew chapter 6 where he teaches on prayer. And we're going we're gonna to look at this because today it's really about how do you approach God? A lot of people want to know how to pray, but they never think about how do I approach. And so the approach is essential. So let's read this scripture together. This is Jesus teaching in the Sermon on the Mount on prayer. Read it out loud with me. I really enjoy it when you do that. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Amen? Amen. Now, one of the influences that I listen to that I appreciate and admire a lot is a pastor in New York City by the name of Tim Keller. And he was talking about a meeting that he went to of religious leaders in the city of Philadelphia. And in in that meeting, there were Muslims, there were Jewish leaders, there were other religious leaders. And some of those leaders looked at him, he's written a book on prayer, and they looked at him and said, you Christians pray inappropriately. You You do not realize, you do not understand that God cannot be approached the way you approach him. They said, God is great, God is holy, God is other. God cannot be treated in such a familiar way as you do. We would never pray that way. If you ever listen or have any contact with uh, Muslim prayers, they're very, very different. If you have have friends, particularly who are very uh, observant Jewish friends, they will not put the O in God when they write it. Or they will not put the O in Lord when they write it. There are such, in their, in their minds, there's such a sense of reverence for the name of God and for the, the nature of God that they do not want in any way to take that name in vain. And Keller said, I, 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 he said, I took in what they were saying. And he goes, you know, throughout our scriptures, throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, God is clearly revealed as holy. He's clearly revealed as glorious. And he's clearly revealed as one in whom we have awe and we have reverence and we have respect. But he's also revealed as one that we approach, we approach as father. And he said this story that has stuck with me. He says, when you have a great king, when you have a mighty king, who can come into the king's bedchamber at 2 a.m. and say, I am thirsty, and the king will get out of bed and go get water for that one who has requested it? Only a son or a daughter. 
Think about that. It doesn't matter how great the king is. If a child of his enters in and says, I am thirsty, even that great king will get out of bed or make his wife get out of bed (laughs) and go get that child water. Those of us who are fathers in this room, our mothers, even those of you who are aunts and uncles, isn't there something very different about the approach of a family member? I mean, if my son, your son, your daughters, you may grouse, you may complain, but you will do it. I remember the first, the very first time they ever laid my daughter in my arms. From then on, my, I was wrapped around her finger. And I always will be. Doesn't matter how respectable you try to be or how formal you are, there is something about family that breaks every wall down. And here it is that Jesus is inviting us. And he's not not saying it's inappropriate. He's saying this is the appropriate way to come to God in prayer. As a matter of fact, he, he contrasts here what he calls the pagan approach to what he calls, what, or what we could describe as the Christian approach to God. Now, this is, it's kind of fascinating to me because usually when I think of pagans, I think of irreligious people. But in fact, Jesus is describing in verse 7 and 8 very religious people. How do I know that? It says they pray babbling. They pray with many words. And they believe by the volume and the quantity and the, the, the number of times that they pray, they believe that they have gotten somewhere, that they've gotten leverage or they've gotten traction. And so therefore, God is obligated to understand and to hear them and to answer them because they are so religious. And Jesus calls that kind of religious person, he calls them pagans and calls that prayer pagan praying. Now, this is an interesting thing. It's plenty of Christians pray like pagans. But a pagan will never pray like a Christian. But Christians can be deceived into praying like pagans. Because we don't understand about the result, now about the approach. One of the, one of the things that I've heard, I don't know if you've ever heard this, but a lot of people will read chapter uh, 6 here and hear what Jesus says in verse 7 and 8, and, and they'll, they'll somehow deduce from that, that teaching, they'll say, well, you don't have to ask at all because the Father already knows what you need before you ask. And so they, they'll actually say, I don't ask God for anything and, and what they're doing is utterly misunderstanding Jesus. Because why would he then give us a pattern of prayer to pray in which you pray to the Father asking for bread? If you were not to ask. So in other words, this is not a passage about asking. It's a passage about how do you approach God? And approaches everything. It's the approach that matters. It's the approach, or the approach that gives you the basis for he, him hearing you. It's the approach that uh, gives you the basis for the answers for the prayers that you're praying. Wrong approach. Pagan approach. No answers. Pagan approach. No sense of oneness. No sense of communion with God. So... 
I'm here today to say to you, we got to get rid of this approach. And we have to begin to understand clearly what it is to approach God in a way that gives a, a basis for him to hear us. I, I get fired up about this for this reason. I don't like to do anything that is useless. I don't like to, extend, like to, to give out energy and, and to, to extend myself and invest myself in things that are going to fail. I like, to, I like when, when I enter into something and I invest something, I want to know that it's going to have maximum value. So if, the, uh, if Jesus is saying the approach is everything, then I've got to take his word for that. Listen to me. Everything the son asks the father, the father says yes to. I want to be in on that. I don't know about you, but I don't like hearing no. It's not one of my favorite things. I love hearing yes. Now, I will say this to you. If you have a God who can't say no to you, he's not much of a God. And if, you don't have, if God can't say no, then yes has no meaning. Yes only has meaning if you can hear no. Because then you can trust the yes. Come on, okay, do I have to tell myself that was a good one? Thank you, I like, thank you, John. Thank you. You, you need to be in every service. All right. So if, if, I, if I can illustrate, and it's important that we get this pretty deeply. If I can illustrate it for you, there's, there's a thing we call a continuum, continuum. On one end is this point, on the other end is this point. Well, the approach that Jesus is talking about of pagans is basically a business relationship. Business relationship always involves I have something, you have something, I want what you have, you want what I have. And we will negotiate and make an agreement so that I get what you have and you get what I have. In other words, pagan praying is basically a business relationship with God. I have something he wants, he has something, you know, he has something I want, and we're going to negotiate, and prayer is going to be our negotiation. Jesus just says that's nothing but pagan. That's nothing but pagan. So the only relationship that gives you an approach to God and all his resources and all his power and all his promises, the only approach that gives you that potential is a family relationship. And a family relationship doesn't have to do with what I have or what I do, but it's who I am to you. It's, it's unconditional. It is a commitment on the part of parents to take care of their children. Whereas business relationship is only based on performance. If you do what you're supposed to do, then I'll do what I'm supposed to do. Another way of putting this is if you were to live in a house, and some of you have lived in a house, and you live in an apartment or a place that is not your own. You don't own that house. You're not the landlord. You're a, you're a person who lives in a house that someone else owns, which is exactly what who we are here on earth. We are people who live in a place that is not our own. And uh, either you live in that house as a tenant, as a boarder, or you live in that house as a child. The relationship between a tenant 
and landlord is radically different than the relationship between a child and a father. The tenant and the landlord basically live by, they live by rules that they have agreed to. I pay you rent, you provide me a room. I pay rent, you make sure there's heat. I pay rent, you make sure there's water. I pay, you know, I pay, therefore I receive. And uh, by paying my rent, I am entitled to certain rights and privileges, and you are, therefore, because I pay you my rent, you are obligated then to perform. In other words, if you're listening to me, many people live with God as if he's the landlord and they're the tenant. Here's the problem. If you're a tenant here on earth, if you're a renter, you're paying rent and have no lease. You have no lease. You don't even, you don't even know if you're paying the right rent. Every religious person is paying rent in their minds. Every prayer is a rent check. Every act of obedience is a rent check. Every time they try to do something good, it's a rent check. Are you tracking with me on this? But the problem is they don't even have an agreement. They don't even have an agreement. And, the, and here's the deeper problem, is the rent they're paying is not what the landlord wants. Think about it, how many times in the Old Testament, rent check sacrifices were going up and up and up, and God said, I despise these sacrifices. In other words, people pay rent, and it's not even what the landlord wants. But they believe, because they're in, the, in their mind, a contractual agreement, a business agreement with God, they believe it gives them the right to complain about the landlord and a right to demand of the landlord that he perform. As I've you know, said before, Everybody in our society wants a God to blame, but they do not want a God to follow. Well, if you're in a family relationship in a house, even though some of you fathers are trying to get rent from your kids, <laughs> but if you're in a family relationship, it's about who you are. And actually, it's, it's unconditional. It's very hard to fire your father. It's very hard to fire your children. It's an interesting thing that some people who want to distance themselves and sever relationship with their children basically have to treat them as if they are dead because that bond and that relationship. And you might say, well, family's not the greatest of things, but there are many things that we put up with with brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers and sons and daughters that we would never put up with from anybody else. Because there's an unconditionalness. And no matter how much you bluff them, and if you're young, put your fingers in your ears right now, however much you bluff them, it's your love that's really the bond. It's the love that's the bond. It's not your money. It's not the car you let them drive. It's not those things. It's that love that bonds you to each other, and that's an unconditional thing. It's interesting that if you have a tenant-landlord relationship, everything is prescribed about how you're supposed to perform. You give rent, he gives service, all those kind of things. But in a household where you're a child to your parents, you're already accepted. You're already 
identified with them on the basis of relationship, not performance, not behavior. And so the expectation is because you are one of us, you will perform this way. It's very opposite in a business relationship. In a business relationship, you are defined by your behavior. So many people live their entire lives and their identity is only tied to their behavior. Only in a family relationship is your identity tied to the relationship. For example, if you have a business relationship and you lie on the contract, you not only have broken the contract, but now you are identified as a liar. If you fail to fulfill your part of paying the rent and doing these things, you are seen as a deadbeat. Your identity in a business or contractual relationship is determined by how you behave. You know this yourself. The way that you think about people is often determined by their behavior. And when someone lies to you, immediately the first reaction is that that person's a liar. You don't just say they behave poorly. You begin to identify them by that behavior. Come on, you with me on this? All right, so if you have lived your whole life as a tenant in this world to a landlord, then you have had to define yourself by your behavior. That's why people love to be religious. Because they want a contract and a set of rules to perform, even if it's a duty or an obligation that has very little to do with their heart, but has mostly to do with their behavior and keeping the rules. So then I can identify myself as a good person because I pay the rent. But the problem is no one's good. And the rent you think you pay is not enough. But isn't it funny? If you follow my line of thinking here, when you pay, let's say, I'll take a hotel. You go to a hotel and you pay amount to stay the night. When Lisa's not with me, I do not stay at expensive hotels. I stay at the cheapest place possible. So one day I was coming back from speaking, and they, no one was paying for my hotel, so I paid for it. And I stopped off at this place in, uh, outside of Washington, D.C., and it was $45. That's all it cost. I should not have stayed there. <laughs> I should not have stayed there. It was gross. It was horrible. But you know what I said? It only cost $45. You with me? You understand what I'm saying? I didn't spend a lot of time complaining. I'm not going back there. I'll never do that again. But I did, I just, I slept, I had a bed, I washed up in the morning, I got in my car, I got out of there as fast as I could. I closed the curtains and played like there wasn't all that stuff going on outside my door. Okay? But when I go with Lisa, I go to the place where they have the nice linens, where the, uh, the room doesn't smell like 1955, and, uh, you know, I... Because, and, and then, if I find a cockroach, when I paid $178, or I paid $150, you are going to hear from me. <laughs> right? You understand? Or, or a towel left dirty, or, 
or the toilet or whatever. You know, you sit there going, I paid this amount of money. <laughs> you understand? What happens is the more you think you have paid, the more demanding you become. So people who think they've prayed so much and people who think they've done so much cannot believe that the world isn't like a hotel room they paid a lot of money for. And so then instead of love for the Father, there are demands on the landlord. Now, it can, it can get nasty in this, in this kind of a setup. Um, let me just let me say it this way real quickly. What happens when you're a, a tenant is that basically what you're trying to do is you're trying to take away all uncertainty in your life. Uncertainty is what unsettles us. And we began to say, if I pray this much, then nothing bad will happen to me. If I go to church and listen to that guy for hours on end, (laughs) then nothing will happen to me because I have sacrificed and God will count that. And the thought is, the more I've put in, the more uncertainty is taken out. See, if you think about it, what do you do when you're doing a rental contract? You're trying to make sure nothing is Nothing is uncertain. Everything is provisional. Everything is, is, is already spoken for in the contract. We even get lawyers and pay them money so that we have everything covered. If this happens, then this will happen. If that happens, then this will happen. If, if in the middle of the night the, the pipes break, then the landlord is responsible. We want to make sure that we are completely covered. And so what most people's religious and prayer life is an attempt to take all uncertainty out. And then if God doesn't perform, then I complain like I would with my landlord. One day I was, uh, I was at ShopRite over here in New City. And I'll never forget it because this lady in front of me, she had, a, she had the minkest mink coat I ever saw. Her nails, her hair, everything, her heels. She had all this. She, she reeked of wealth. And she was screaming at this little, this little girl that was the clerk, that was the cashier, screaming at her for 19 cents. Girl had made a 19-cent mistake. I reached in my pocket and gave the lady 19 cents. Actually, it was a quarter, and I said, keep the change. And in that moment, I could just, I could see the landlord tenant. Look at me. How dare you short me 19 cents? Do you not see how important I am? Do you not see, you know, the wealth on me? And you cheated me. Can you imagine? Can you imagine living your life thinking that God owes you? And losing it when all it's worth is 19 cents. And yet many of us, and this is the test, friends. This is the test of the child and the tenant. Are you a tenant or are you a child? This is the test, is what happens when it doesn't go your way? 
Do you put your mink coat on? Do you put your high heels on? Rise up to a full four foot 11 stature? Look somebody in the chest and say, you will not treat me that way. Is that your prayer life? Lots of churches, that's their prayer life. Lots of Christians, that's their prayer life. Now, the other side of it is this. There are a lot of us, there are a lot of us who know we don't pay our rent. See, if, if you're Mr. Religious, Ms. Religious, you're going to put your mink on, you're going to go and you're going to yell at somebody because you paid your rent. But there are a lot of us in this room, we know we're behind in our rent. We know we, we're trying to avoid the landlord. You know, when, when your shower breaks and you hadn't ha- haven't paid your rent, you don't go say, I need my shower. <laughs> you know what you say? I'll go without. Wow. I'll go without. Because you don't want to see the landlord because what are they going to say? Well, you pay your rent. I'll fix your shower. So there are lots of us. Now, there, I mean, there's some of us, we're real religious. We think we've prayed enough. We've prayed a lot, all this stuff. This one little old lady came up to me after church, when my first church I ever pastored in Atlanta, and she goes, all my life I've been nothing but a servant of the Lord. Every, I've given myself to every cause. I've been faithful and all this. I just don't understand. With so few people who like God, why does he treat me so badly? She's a tenant. She's a boarder. She thinks she had a rental agreement. She thought she'd paid the rent, so she was mad at God. But there are lots of us that realize we haven't been paying the rent. And so we avoid the landlord. We know we have needs. You know, the shower doesn't work. Sink backs up. Then, you know, the roof leaks but we can't ask because we don't feel like we paid enough rent. Either way, whether you're the prideful religious person or you're the broken down person who can't pay the rent, either way, there is no way to God in a business agreement. There is no prayer approach that works. Jesus calls it pagan. Here's the beauty. This is the part of love right here. See, if you're in relationship with Father as a child, you realize this. There's a gap between what I know as a child and what my Father knows. That gap, yeah, it has uncertainty, but it also has wonder. It has mystery. I have a Father who knows so much more than me. I can trust Him. See, a tenant can't trust the landlord. The tenant has to enforce the stipulations of the rental agreement. A son and a daughter can say, I know my father. I know what he knows. I can trust him. There can be a gap between what I know and what he knows, and I trust that gap. See, only a child can be filled with wonder. Think about this. Here's the wonder of a child. The Apostle John writes, he says, Behold, 
what manner of love the Father has given unto us that we should be called sons of God, daughters of God, okay? How many of you take your paycheck and go, behold, (laughs) what wonder there is in this paycheck? Mine's direct deposit. It comes in, it goes out. I'd like to behold it a little longer. (laughs) I don't even get to hold it, much less behold it. But there's no wonder in it. As a matter of fact, I go, that's what I work for, that's what I get. But this, see... Why it's so important to approach him as father. And you could only approach him as father through Jesus the son. And only in the name of Jesus. Not your name. But in the name of Jesus, I get to live in wonder. One of my favorite, favorite Christians of all time. One of my favorite speakers was a woman by the name of Corey Timboom. Incredible woman uh, of God who lived through the Nazi occupation of Holland they saved many, many Jewish people. They, were, they themselves were eventually interned into a concentration camp, she and her sister. And she knew as they entered into the occupation of the Nazis, she knew that things were about to change. And she went to her father. It's one of my favorite stories in her book called The Hiding Place. And one of my favorite stories, she goes to her father and she says, I'm afraid. Father, I'm afraid. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm afraid. And her father, whom she she trusted so deeply and loved so much, said to her, Corey, when do I give you the the tickets for a train, the train, when you're about to go on a trip? And she said, well, Father, you give me the ticket right before I get on the train. She said, do you trust me that you'll get on the right train, that you'll have the tickets? Do you trust me that the train is going to take you where we want to go? She said, yes, Father, you always take care of me. He said, in the same way, your heavenly father is going to do that. He's going to give you tickets for the train that will take you to your destiny. And he will do it at just the right time. But only a child can trust the father with the tickets. Only a child can trust the father with the train. And only a child can trust the father to get her to her destination. A tenant cannot do that. Well, the the second part of this and maybe the most powerful part for your prayer life is a child can ask anything. A tenant can only ask what's already agreed. A tenant will have to pay more to get more. A child is not obligated to any other agreement than the relationship. A child can ask extravagantly. A child can ask shamelessly. <laughs> Everything is about approach. The other day, Lisa and I, I, I think it was when we were down, someone, we were down at the shore, and this lady comes up to us out of the blue, and she goes, can I have some money? <laughs> and my wife being so sweet, she reaches in and gives her a dollar. I'm like, ugh. All right, I'll confess this later, but... Uh, I'm just going to tell you what I was saying. I was like, who are you to come ask me for money? I don't know you. I don't know what you're going to do with the money. But you know what? 
If any of you came up to me like that, I'd empty my wallet. Now, fortunately, no one in the first service took me up on that. <laughs> so this might be your chance. I'm not saying I brought any money. All about relationship. If I know you, and I know you have a need, there's not a single penny I'm going to keep. I'm not going to hold on to it when you have a need. My son is opening a business in Nashville, and he calls up, and I could hear in his voice he had no personal money. Everything was in the business. And I don't know if any of you parents ever had this happen, but when you have a sense your child doesn't have enough to eat, there's nothing that will stop. So I went to Walmart. They send money for eleven ninety-five. Uh, <laughs> but I knew he could depart in Nashville. I knew he could get to Walmart and he could get the money. And I immediately, I said, I looked at Lisa. I said, "We're going to give him money, right?" Yeah, we're going to give him money. Why? Because he's my son. Because he's my son. Because we have a connection. We have a relationship. He didn't even ask. But I knew he had a need. Now. We're going to finish up with this. I have to say this part just so you get it, okay? Jesus doesn't start the Lord's Prayer with King, Lord, or Friend. He starts it with Father. The way that you come into relationship with the Father is He adopts you. This is the essence of the gospel. This is the essence of Christianity. When you receive Christ as your Savior, and this is why you can't just be a believer in God, if you're just a believer in God, you're in business with God, you're not in relationship with God. You're not in an intimate place. You're not at the right approach. But when you receive Christ as your Savior, you are adopted into the family. Adoption is the act of the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. He does it. There may not be an immediate change in your behavior. If you've ever seen adopted kids, they usually test their adopted parents to see if they'll kick them out. But they don't know what's happened is their legal status has changed, and that can't be changed back. Once you are my son, you are my son. Once you are my daughter, you are my daughter. Your behavior does not determine your status. Your status has been determined legally. You are a son. You're a daughter. As a matter of fact, here's what the Father says to you. Now that you're here, I promise to regard you and love you as much as I do my natural child. Who's the natural child of the Father, Jesus himself? So in other words, because you are in Christ, the Father says you are loved as if you were Christ. The religious have a business relationship with God. Some of you in this room, you've got a business relationship. End it today. The Christian is somebody having a family relationship. We are adopted by God's act not yours, therefore you can't even screw it up. And this adoption gives you personal access to the throne of God, and that throne for you will always be a throne of grace. This is so powerful to me. I can't tell you many times in my life, I, even though I was a believer, I lived like I was a tenant. I lived like he was my landlord. My actions were rent payments. And I would say, do I have more rent this year than, than not rent? And try to figure out if I could get leverage on him. The most beautiful thing is to say, forget all that. 
I'm a child of the King. I am a child of the Father. I am a child. I can ask anything, and he will, he will give. I can ask anything in his name. If I abide in him and his words abide in me, I can ask whatever I will. I want you to throw away the business relationship today. Would you stand with me? Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Dan, will you come stand up here with me? Um, let me get somebody else. Do we have another elder in here? Any other elders? Just Dan and I. We're the only old guys in here. Come on, Rob. Come up here. Stand. You stand right there. Dan, spread out a little bit. Up on the stage. There we go. All right, this is a little bit weird, I know. Okay? I like weird. Okay? If you have sensed today that you've struggled with a business relationship with God, and you're realizing it ain't going to work for you, I want you to renounce it today. But in renouncing it, I want you to grab hold that you are an adopted son or daughter and that your status is set. And in order to do that, I'd like you to take a step out of your chair, and I want you to come up here and gather around the three of us. We're all three fathers. Uh, we're fathers of sons and daughters. Dan, only sons. <laughs> but he started getting granddaughters. Okay? And I want you just to come up and grab a hand, okay? Come up and grab a hand, because families grab hands. Sometimes we, with a fork in it. But families grab hands. I want you to come up here, and I want you to gather close. Uh, gather up here. Some of you, somebody come touch my hand. <laughs> come on. Come on. Say, I, I'm giving up this. I'm giving up a business relationship. I'm coming into the family. I'm a child. I'm a daughter. I'm a son. Come on. Others of you, I think others of you want to come. You're just afraid to. We're family here. We embarrass each other all the time. That's what families are for. Will you say this with me? I am done with a business relationship. I am done paying rent. I forego all my rent payments. You understand what that means? You're letting go that way of investing. And I receive... I the, spirit the spirit of adoption. Of adoption. Now, what, if you're a daughter, say daughter. If you're a son, say son. I am a son of the Father. I am a daughter of the Father. And I will approach Him. And I will approach Him as my Father. As my Father. And I will ask. And I will ask shamelessly. Shamelessly. Extravagantly. Extravagantly. About everything. You can say no to me, but I will press in until I hear yes. Because your heart for me is to say yes. Now here's a picture. We're, we're all standing here. Yeah, I, I like holding your hands. It's nice. We're all standing here. Imagine right now this is a feast. This is a holiday, a holy day. And all of us are standing, and Jesus stands up and cries with a loud voice. And here's what he says. If any of you are thirsty, over all the crowd, the king of kings yells out, if any of you are thirsty, let him come to me and drink. 
Will you say with me, Lord, I am thirsty. And I'm coming to you to satisfy my thirst. I will drink of this living water. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 God bless you. Yes. Yes, you can. Say